This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This week, the Clarets face a crunch game in their bid for survival with an away leg at Brentford. This is the None and Ever podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the None and Never podcast. Listeners, we're going to do it. We've got to analyse that disappointing defeat away at Brentford. We went into that game feeling very, very confident, very happy, albeit rocked from a couple of defeats that we weren't necessarily expecting. Um, but it did not go the way we wanted it to. So we are going to have a quick look at what happened on Saturday and essentially take stock of where the Claret's future lies ahead of this unprecedented three-week break. I'm your host, Natalie Bromley, and I am joined by three guests this evening, two of our regular panellists on the analysis show, Richard Steele and Adam Dennett. And we are delighted to be joined by a very special friend of the show, and I believe this may be his debut, actually, um, Andrew Blythe. Andrew, welcome. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Is Blythe correct? I don't want to offend you straight off the bat by calling you the wrong name. No, Blythe is correct. Well done. Thank Excellent. You very much. Well, we're going to come to you very shortly, Andrew, but um, yeah, it's very lovely to have you. We do like it when we get our regular listeners a slot on the show. It's very nice to have some company. Um, so where are we, Claret? It's not looking great. We are still in the relegation zone. We um, have lost every single time we have faced a fixture where we've said that this was a must-win game or definitely a must-not-lose game. Um, and it was the key game to kickstart our survival hopes. We have fallen. Um, we have had a very, very disappointing run of results against the teams around us at the bottom, which may very well seal our fate this season. Um, Rich, I'm going to come to you first because you were at the game on Saturday. Um, out of the four of us, you were the one that did make the trip down. You're an absolute hero. Um, and I guess I, I kind of, can you give me, start our listeners off with, with kind of a summary of, of the air and the atmosphere, especially at completion. What what was your experience of that game like? Yeah, so me and my dad uh, went was in our car at 6.30 in the morning, travelling down from Wigan. Um, always enjoyed the London games because we get to stay with, with, with family and make a weekend of it. And, you know, even though we have had a few bad results, there was an air of, you know, anticipation, excitement, as there always is. Uh, we got to, a, you know, we had a couple of pints in a lovely pub in Brentford, uh, 
I met Tom on my travels too and the Whitaker family. Uh, so I did charge you for him a and, selfie? Uh, no, no, he didn't charge me <laughs> for a selfie. Um, I got his autograph though. I um, uh, love it. And then, yeah, the atmosphere was brilliant before kickoff. You know, the Brentford fans weren't great, really, all the, all the way through. Um, I was next to the away fans, so I had a little bit of banter. And, yeah, it was one of them. It was just the same old story of the Clavett season, really. You know, we had spells where we was under pressure. Uh, sorry, we, we had spells where we put them under pressure. There was a real spell in the second half where, for, for a good 10 minutes or so, where we was getting the ball out wide, getting into decent positions. And ultimately, this season, what's cost us is is that final third, whether it's the whether it's the finish or the final ball. Our crossing again was absolutely diabolical, mm. including set pieces, which you know, I'm going to talk about later. <laughs> uh, I was watching the game though, and it actually never felt like we was going to score. And it's quite a harrowing feeling that where you want to get on the edge of your seat for that anticipation, and I never really felt I got that. Obviously, we had a chance in the first half where McNeil seemed to have a 50p head. Because the ball went <laughs> at a right angle. Ten Bob Ed, I think it's called in some of the long. All, all, all he had to do was like glance at him, but I think that sums <laughs> up this season. Yeah. Uh, Corny had a one on one, and you think before the African Cup of Nations, he probably smashes that one in. And obviously, Jay's hit the bar with an unbelievable effort, which, you know, two inches lower, it's one nil. But we didn't actually, other than that real McNeil chance, because the Corny one on one was, you know, from the mistake, and Rodriguez's is just a pot shot, really. You know, we didn't like open them up with any creative football or with a good move. You know, if you call, you know what, we played a good bit of football there. And I think Thomas Frank, the Brentford manager, summed it up per- per- perfectly. He said it was a close game, but Burnley are just so predictable. And we've put, I know we'll analyse this more, we put Westwood back in the team. And it's just that channel ball again, them long balls, hitting it up in the air to Vegas, hitting it for Corney to chase after long balls. And when we played against Brighton and we had Cork in midfield, we was we was we was getting it to, into Vegas' feet and laying it off. Brownell was playing a little bit further up the pitch and looking more effective. And like 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 you said, after that Tottenham game, there was a real sense of belief come back into into Turf Moor. The you know the walk away was fantastic. And since then, we've got one point from four games. And I know we want to try and have a balance in this podcast. And you know we we have got some, you know we you know got some massive games coming up. But it just really get as the sense of inevitability inevitability that this is the end of the road for us and mm. I just you know what we can I know this is our job on the podcast to analyze it and we will to me we're just not good enough yeah and that and that sums it up for me it's kind of heartbreaking you. isn't it that that's it, the conclusion it is you know I was walking away from the you know from the ground and you know I didn't really speak much you know I was just kind of in that somber mood I remember I was eating my fish and chips just like so down and down don't mess with the fish and it chips. Was, it, it was good though. Fish, fish, chips, and mushy peas. They were good for down south. I give it them credit. The 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 no. chippy and uh, yeah, the chippy and hatch end near 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 Watford. Um, but yeah, it was just that sense of inevitability. And I turned to me dad and just went, "You know what? We're just not quite good enough." Yeah, unfortunately. No, well, on that slightly disappointing note, Andrew, let's come to you and let's let's bring you into the podcast and let's get some thoughts from you. Um, I guess. Is there any glimmer of hope that you can salvage after after Saturday? Do you think that result was the the final nail in our coffin, or do you look at the league table? Do you look at the remaining games and think I still think there's any there's some hope here? I, I definitely don't think it's done. I definitely think that with the games going that are coming up, 
that we've got chances, we've got, got games. The problem is, is we've come across games like this this season already and we haven't been able to get the wins and the points that have been required at that point. However, I just think at some point, it, I feel as if we're so close to getting that win that will kick us out and get us out of the relegation zone. If we'd got something against Leicester, obviously that would have done that. And again, that was the exact same against Brentford. The problem is, for me is up front. There's not enough. We're not good enough in the final third. We're not making. A, we're not creating enough chances. And if we were creating the chances, then I'm sure the strikers would, would be putting the ball in the back of the net. Do you, just picking up on what you said there, Andrew, I think this is something that's worried me for quite some time now. And I know this is a very polarising subject and, and draws some quite um, extreme of emotion. But to me, Daesh hasn't got our players up for the key games. Like you say, we've not done well in those must-win games. You know, at home against Norwich, for goodness sake, we looked terrified. You know, when we were playing against um, Watford, that key game at home at, in the rematch, we looked nervous. And I'm just a little bit concerned that either Dash is making them nervous by stressing to them that this is a really important game and setting up the tactics to not lose, or whether it's just somehow not inspiring them. But you look at that game against Spurs, and to some respects, like the first half against Leicester as well, the side looks disciplined and it looks relaxed, but playing these must-win games, they look terrified. Yeah, the players definitely do look scared. I fully agree with that. I get, obviously, what Rich has already said about Westwood in the middle, I don't think works. I know he'll probably analyse that more. I think Cork in there against Brighton, as he's right, the team set up a lot better. The ball seemed to flow bit, a lot better through midfield. Dwight McNeil's been the strange one all season. He's just not showing the player that he is. And it's just, I think Dwight, especially at home, I think Dwight looks like looks scared in front of the fans. Mm. He's getting also quite a little bit of stick. Uh, I, I, I feel as if the only player the last few that have uh, has looked as if he's up for it has been Aaron Lennon. I think Lennon yeah. has been really good as if he's up for these games. You're right. No one else seems to be up for it. Yeah, right. Well, I'm going to... That's that's one point that I'm going to pick up on. I was going to save it till a little bit later on, but I'm going to bring you in. Um, Adam, I'm sorry. I do keep handing you these grenades and expecting you to run with them, and I'm going to do it again. I'm sorry. Um, but Andrew mentioned there that we have got a problem with Dwight McNeil. And for the first time in his career, and for the first time in a long time from a Burnley player, some quite vocal disappointment and, um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't think of an eloquent word, but there's a lot of noise coming from the crowd. At home, um, the, the last game, uh, was it the Leicester game or was it this Chelsea game? I think it was. There were audible boos um, from Turf Moor when Dyche didn't take McNeil off and chose to, to, to take another player off instead. Um, this is a really tough decision. Now, I'm, I think Tom, our Tom mentioned this in our group thread, in our group thread about self-policing fans and fans are entitled to voice or opinion but what on earth do you make of the McNeil situation and how do we fix it? It's really difficult just because of the um, the lack of options that we that we seem to have um, obviously Corny is the, the obvious one to put put on the left hand side but he's still not seem to be firing after um, after AFCON and, and whether Dice trusts him his discipline and his fitness to be able to cope with that left-sided role where McNeil is always 
disciplined at getting back. Obviously, Chelsea went on a merry dance for that first goal and um, and didn't do very well when he was back. But he has got um, got the engine to get get up and down. Um, there's, there's no real other other option on on that side. So as it's more in hope than expectation at the moment that you just want him to find that form. And I think the the criticism from from the fans is justified based on his performances, but I don't think it helps. Um, obviously, he's, he's definitely a confidence player um, and you can actually see his shoulders going down, his head going down, which is a professional. He shouldn't, he shouldn't do that, but as a young lad, it's going to affect him. Obviously, it's been a long period now where he's not been getting goals and assists where the first two or three seasons he has regularly been being like contributing at the top end of the pitch. Um it's yeah, it's really a difficult one for me. And another another one which um we're gonna talk about again, I'm guessing, is we've not got that option after not adding that winger in, in January. I know we're really close yeah. to Orsic. Is that gonna end up being the difference? I, I don't know. Quite possibly, um, actually. Just got a quick, um, quick note to add on um, on the Cork situation and Westwood. Um, obviously, he came in didn't he because Westwood were either banned or injured, I think, and, and obviously did really well in the Brighton and the and the Spurs game. But um, I think the signs were there in the Palace game. Um, we were watching that he we did get overran again in midfield, and his legs didn't seem to be like you could tell he'd played three games in a week after not playing sure. uh, for quite a long time, Cork. Um, so yeah. I didn't disagree with Westwood coming back in at the time, but it, it has been, you can tell, yeah, he's really not not on not form. There. I think, like Richard said, that on Saturday it were set-piece-wise and final ball-wise, we just seem to be panicking and not taking control of the situation and just playing the percentage balls that worked more for Wood than it did for Vegost, than it ever will for Vegost. Yeah. Um, and I think it is vital to get Cork in there to play, to play the way that, that we need to to get results. Just park the Cork situation. I'm going to come back to that, actually, because I do yeah. I know there's a couple of points that Rich wanted to say. I want to talk about Westwood and Cork and Daisha's team selection specifically. So let's just park that. Remember that thought. Um, I'm going to come to you, Rich, because Adam, like a politician, evaded the question. Um, but I, nicely done, Adam. I like it. Um, the McNeil situation, I want to stick with this for a little bit. And I think Adam makes a really good point about the youth of our, and the, just the general age of our players. You forget so often that footballers are in their 20s. They're in their early 20s. And I think about me in my early 20s, and I was quite frankly just a first-class idiot. I was so immature. And and I look back at my early 20s, me, and just think, ooh. And if I had to do my job in front of millions of people and with 24,000 manager, like line managers criticising your performance every week, it would get to me. So we do, ex- we do treat them like really mature men when they are, in fact, kids still. So bearing that in mind, specifically, how are you feeling about the specific abuse that's been sent his way by the fans? Can it ever be justified? And how do we rectify this? <laughs> you know, is that why you've come to me? Because, you know, yeah. I'll just give a blunt and honest answer. Pretty much, um, yeah. Adam's too listen, nice. Was the wrong person to ask. <laughs> in my opinion, he's, he's just not been good enough. It's just as simple as that. He's, listen... This is a I'm 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 not one to boo, but at the same time, if people are paying the money, they've got every every right to do. It. I, I think we've we've got this thing at Turf Moor now, where it's like, oh, people aren't singing enough. People are doing this, people are doing that. Like, 
do you, do, do, do you want coming from? And I'm like, yeah, I've just get on with it. On, do your I've, own I've game. seen loads of, loads, loads of stuff on Twitter, like, oh, not enough people are singing. I'm nearly 30, me. I can't be arsed, like, standing <laughs> up for 90 minutes singing crap songs man. about Woot Weghorst and all that stuff. I just want to watch the game and get into it. But, like, going back onto it, you, you know, you do make a good point about, um, you know, about it being, you know, still a young lad. But the difference is, you are training to be a lawyer. He's a professional footballer. If he can't handle that criticism, he'll not get to the top. It's as simple as that. What annoys me about McNeil is I can have players making mistakes, playing a bad pass. I, I get that. But his, his, his mentality, he shrugs his shoulders, he huffs. Like, you're seeing against Chelsea, as soon as he missed that open goal, his head just yeah. went. Mm. And you've got, oh, hopefully he will learn. But you've got to be, if he wants to make it to the top, top level, and I'm not meaning bottom half Premier League, to the top level, because I think he's got the talent and I think he's got the ability. He's got to be stronger mentally and, and his mentality's got to be better. If anybody wants to watch a programme on mentality and about being at the top and staying at the top, go and watch The Last Dance on Netflix mm. about Michael Jordan. That's because a he superb Because series. he pushed his teammates and it was sink or swim. And mm. I think McNeil's coming to the first part of his career where he, where he, where he, where he is getting criticised. And I think rightly so, because his performances aren't good enough, his mentality's not good enough. And it's a big test for him now whether he's going to come out of it at the other end. And listen, I hope he do it. And you know, I'm I'm sure he's a lovely lad. I'm I'm sure he's a lovely lad. He comes across as a really nice lad. But to be a top top footballer, you've got to have that little bit of arrogance and that little bit of swagger about you. Mm. People dislike Jack Grealish a little bit. I personally love him because I think he's got that arrogance. I think he's got that swagger to his to 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 his game. You know, you've seen that incident with Grealish where that Birmingham fan come and punched him and oh, then he God, went to yeah, score the winning goal. Mm. I think if that was McNeil, would he have had that same mentality? So I, I, I'm, I'm concerned with him. Um, it's, it's not, for me, it's not that he's not playing well or he's giving the ball away or, or whatever. It's just he's, he's, he's sulking and he's shrugging and you can just see him on the touchline. And it's a really, really difficult one because Adam made the point, we've got nobody else to come in, really. For me, we've got this conundrum with Carney at the moment, where do we play? Do we play him left wing? I've seen some people being like, Carney can't play up front. But you wasn't saying that when he was banging worldies in left, right and centre. I just think he's genuinely out of form. And because our midfield is our weak area, we rely on McNeil a lot to be to, to refer to him. And it's because he's not been playing well. I think it's highlighted more problems. And I felt there was a spell where... You know, he, 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 he was getting back to it, you know, putting them crosses in. And by the way, I thought he did OK, actually, at Brentford. You know, he kept going and he, and he kept running down the lines, kept running down the channels. But listen, if all will be forgotten if he has a brilliant end to the season and it shows a lot of guts and a lot of courage. Yeah, I'll leave it there yeah. for now. No, I think they're really good points. Um, I mean, I think bearing that in mind, Andrew, you know, we're talking about him being too nice and his shoulders going down. And things like that. And you, you talk about, interestingly, making that um, comparison with, with Michael Jordan and The Last Dance. One of the things that struck me about that particular series that I was watching was that he wasn't there to make friends with anybody. He didn't, in his leadership, in dragging that team, the Chicago Bulls team, he, he wasn't interested in making friends. He did what was necessary. He was a champion. And that just made me think, as soon as Rich said that, that if we've got McNeil, who is struggling with form, is struggling with confidence, his shoulders are going down, Actually, where is our Michael Jordan in that side? 
Ben Mee is a fantastic um, captain. He is a fantastic um, ambassador for the club. Is he the guy on the pitch that shouts and screams? Is he the Joy Bar? And I don't think we've had that player since Joy Barton left. So, you know, who is our general in the side? Who is the one who's going to drag those players through? Is that what we're missing? I think that's 100% what we're missing because you're right, ever since Joy's went, we've not had that. We used to always have, I know it's further back in the field, Tom Heaton was always very, very good from the, the back, shouting out instructions, getting people going. That's obviously moved, the captaincy's moved to Ben Mee and that should be his job. But obviously, me wasn't the side of the weekend to help him out. McNeil's clearly struggling with confidence. Ever as Rich said again there, ever since that miss with Chelsea, because you had the whole thing a few weeks back when he got dropped versus Liverpool, he came back in, I thought he was fantastic since, fantastic against, against Tottenham, really, really good. Because that game and then against Chelsea, he misses that chance. His shoulders slump and that's it. Uh, his head's gone. He's just, the, the rest of the game face Chelsea wasn't even, and he, he just wasn't at the races at all. I'd love to see him play, I'd love to see him play an under-23 game against a young fullback who's got no confidence to try and boost his confidence, get him a, just get him used to beating players again and getting balls into the box. It just needs. To, we need to somehow get his confidence up, and there isn't the leaders on the pitch to help him out at the moment. What I would say to that is Ben Ben Me is our leader. Yeah, you know he's not like I don't think he's someone in the dressing room who will like really shout at people. Since he went off against Leicester, where he was drawing nil nil. No goals scored, eight conceded, no points made. Mm-hmm. You know, and and when the going yeah. gets tough in games late on, we've we conceded two late on against Leicester, two late on against Brentford, capitulated against Chelsea. That that doesn't happen with me on the pitch. I think we get I think in them Leicester games and Brentford especially, we at least come away with a draw. We just look far more open and the team looks a bit softer without him in it. And I think it's shown over the years, hasn't it, with Keane, you know, how we struggle at Everton. I don't think Tarky looks the same player next to him. So I don't think he's very, I, I can't imagine him wanting to give people a rollicking, but just his presence and his calmness and, and just his general organisation on the pitch. We really, really miss it when, when he doesn't play. I just think we've, we've got we've got Kev Long playing against City. Oh, don't. I don't want to think about that. Um, yeah, let's not. You know what? what? That's one thing we are not talking about in this podcast. I cannot deal with that scenario. We're not. That's banned chat from this episode. Um, but saying that though, Rich, it's like, yeah, I get that and I do understand it. And and Ben Mee brings so many qualities as a leader that we uh, benefit from in the club. But if we're talking specifically about the McNeil problem and how we fix his lacking confidence, McNeil clearly isn't reacting to the kind of leader Ben Mee is. So, do we? Can I add something here? You can. I've been Go thinking ahead. about. I've been thinking about this, and I wasn't sure I was going to bring it up. I, I listen. I listen to the Ben Foster podcast quite a lot. I don't know if any of you do. I do listen. Sorry, sorry for plugging another podcast on this wow. show. Alex, this is the best. Book. So obviously, Ben Foster, you know, is a you know, been a great keeper for so many years. We were, we were talking, his, his topic was Aubameyang and him going to Barcelona, joining him obviously scoring loads of goals since he's gone. And he was doing that with Arsenal, got this massive contract and then kind of just down, down, down tools a little bit. And it's just interesting to get your thoughts on, on, on this. He said that in his, in his experience, when a new manager, a new player has got a new contract, they just lose that five ten percent edge, which which maybe gives them that. Do we think that's happened to Dice a little bit? 
He signed this massive, massive bumper contract for like four or five years, knowing that if he gets sacked, he's going to get a massive payout. Has Dice just lost that little bit of intensity, that little bit of fire that he maybe once had to, you know, he's just coming out for me with the same monotone expression, you know, after games. And I'm like, I want him to show a little bit of passion yeah. you know, after the game. I've been, you know, to, I've been beating this drum fine for ages. You know, fine, fine margins or, you know, you know, we're, you know, we're just the final third and all this. And I'm like, I know we can't criticise his players in public. I, I get that. But something twigged with me when I listened to that Ben Fogg Ben Foster podcast. I'm like, bloody hell, is this is this actually happened with our manager? I yeah. think for the got that little bit, just lost that little bit of edge. You know, you know yourselves. You know when you know when you're in your job. If you feel, you know, like Chris, you know Chris Woody even said, and we criticised him at the time. If you're getting that little bit of a comfort zone, yeah. you do lose that edge. No, I completely agree, and I've been I've been trying to say this. Um, to various degrees of success on our group chat for some time because it's not something that I feel comfortable enough airing in public. You know, criticising Daesh on a public forum like Twitter to Berlin fans is, is just asking for trouble. And quite frankly, I get enough grief as it is from, from people on Twitter. Well, that's not criticism, is it? That's no, but it's, it's, and, you know, it's seen that way though, Rich. It's seen that way. Um, and I agree. And I, I'm not an advocate for people staying in jobs in any profession for a long time. I think the generational days of being in your job for 40 years and staying at the same firm and making partner or whatever it is and retiring are long gone. I think I like when our graduates come to our firm and they're talking to us about five-year plans. They're not talking to us about staying with the firm forever. And I don't want that. I want to know what they can do in five years, the spark they can bring to our firm and what ideas they can bring. Um, Adam, do you think there's any justification in that, that maybe Dash is now is in his comfort zone and he's lost a bit of that spark? You, you hope not because there's... There's so many reasons that you could put down to um, to this season turn out as it is. One is that we're Burnley. We're battling above our means for a long period of time. There's always, you're always a chance you're going to be in a relegation battle every season. Um, obviously things, uh, the long-term underinvestment that we've talked about um, under the previous ownership. I think he's, he's never been one to come out and be that um, exuberant post, post-match press conference last like for the last couple of years all he did were take slide digs at garlic whenever whenever he had uh, like we had a poor run of form so the he's not got that reason to do that anymore so yeah he's just those um boring one liners but I don't yeah it would be nice to see um to see something else but I don't think I'd ever expect it no matter what his contract situation was um at the end of the day we've we've not we've not been good enough as a collective and it's interesting about the contract situation. I thought the same about Westwood. He were in the form of his buddy Burnley career, and everyone were going like crazy, saying, "Why, why don't we put it like put pen to paper, get him signed up, sign him up?" And he did. And the he, there was a clear drop off afterwards. And and it is it happens everywhere. The Aubameyang situation is a perfect example of um, of that happening. So um, you hope not. It could be possibly, but I don't think um, I don't think it will be the main contributor if this is the the season that that we do go back down. I do want to add this up before you move on. I I know I'm probably talking more than I normally do on a podcast, but I I Rich don't want Dice to, no I don't want Dice to go. I want Dice to stay, and I'd love nothing more for us to have another five years of Dice because what I love about Burnley is, is that 
I think with Dice, we you know we still have an identity and a bit of a pureness about it. You know, with you know with with all the madness that does go around in the Premier League. But what I have seen on Twitter more and more is people who have good football brains, rational football people, not reactionary people who kind of just spout nonsense, saying that you know we need something, we do need something different, whether that's a new coach to come into the building or something. Because and 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 Adam is right; it does come down to a lot of players ultimately. But we've got a top player in Carney, and it's almost like we don't have a. He's been here nearly a year now. We don't have a clue what to do with him. No. Still. So when I'm wondering, like, it's a real difficult one. And I think football has advanced so much in, in the last two or three years since we were really successful. And Dice isn't up to times with it, um, unfortunately. You know, the football is a bit ar- archaic. But at the same time, what's always in the back of my head is that we still haven't properly been backed in the transfer window, despite making some good signings. I think I think that's a really interesting point. I, I am we're going to come back to, to Rich in a minute. I'm just trying to to, to um, add in some different layers because I I'm, I just I think what he's saying is really important, Andrew. And I think two things I just picked up from that last particular segment was this idea that I wonder whether Dash has also become a little bit behind with his strategy and his tactics and is somehow a little bit archaic in what he wants to do. Um, I agree with Rich in that we all want Dash to be the one that stays with us, but that has to be on the condition that he does find a freshness and a sharpness and things like not knowing what to do with McNeil, uh, with Corneille and how, you know, changing the team from his trusted 4-4-2 and just, you know, and I get frustrated when I hear Dash saying, when we're doing in bad times, where he's saying, you know, we've got a system here and it's always worked and we've just got to do the things we believe in well. And I always question that and think, well, what if that's long gone now and it's never going to work again? What, we're just going to carry on doing that until we're out of the league? Um, do you see that in the game? Do you think there's, do you think there is any any staleness from Dutch there? Or do you think he has the ability to bring that spark back? There definitely is a staleness from Dutch. He does not seem to want to try new formations, new systems, new things like that. Uh, and I do think that Rich has a point with the whole contract situation. If you look at ever since Alan Pace came in, Pace has nailed his colours to the mast and said he wants Dice, he wants Dice here for years. So Dice is as comfortable as anyone at the moment. He's got his feet under the table. He knows that he's pretty com- he's pretty safe with, with Pace there. I don't think he's got any fear of being sacked. And if he does, he's got a big payoff. Uh, so he is quite archaic. He's not willing to change much. I'd love to see a change of system, especially with Conley and things like that, but I don't hold out any hope of it happening anytime soon. And probably we should be try, try something new this season because nothing we've tried this season has really worked. I'd love to see Conley playing just off the front row and right up top, just in behind, kind of like Hoskin idea. If there could be something could be done, with, maybe if Fedra was to come back in, etc. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it, it's interesting, isn't it? We often talk about players having no competition for places and just being safe and they know that they're going to get picked every week. So there's no need for them to try hard. And maybe, like you say, Pace coming in and, and saying how much he wants Dash has given a little bit of um, complacency, maybe. I don't know if that's necessarily fair, but yeah, you never really think about managers being safe on the job, do you? Um, we talked about this, Andrew, ages ago now on the podcast. I don't know if this is an episode you... Um, listened to and in fact while I'm just talking you through this I'm going to find the email that I was sent we talked about the potential that there was a there was a um his coach was it who'd left and a lot of people 
Go on. Tony, Tony Laughlin had left. Yes. Yeah. And we raised, uh, quite a few listeners had sent me some emails saying, will you explore this? Because since he left as a coach, tactics seem to be all over the place. I want to revisit that, Andrew, and see how you feel about that, because I think somebody did send me something. Let me see if I can find it very, very quickly. Sorry, this is terrible, terrible radio that just listened to me scrolling down to find this email. Andrew, come to my rescue because I can't find it. Well, I did. I remember reading the news that Tony Lachlan had left. And any time there's a change to background staff, I always think, was that the, the crucial piece, etc.? I've seen, I remember it from other clubs when certain individuals left, assistant managers or what about coaches. And I did have that in my mind when he left. Could this be an issue? And obviously they brought Steve Stone in to replace him. Something, something's not right, whether it's whether it is that or whether it's Dyche. I don't suppose we'll ever really know, but it is definitely a possibility that Tony Laughlin was a crucial cog in that that's now made sure, making, it's now not working right. Maybe, maybe that has got merit. So what do we think, how do we deal with that though? Is that, is that a Dyche stubbornness? Why, is, why have we not replaced him? Do we know? Well, it's got, if all today he's, he's the manager, he's the, the person who's in charge of this situation. If, there's something wrong it should be up to dice to find that out and find a solution now whether that's bringing someone else in or maybe getting rid of someone i don't know but dice is a manager of the football club and it's up to him to find that solution yeah. us as fans that we're really we don't we, we don't see the behind the scenes goings on there yeah fine i found the email that i was referring to um I'm not going to read out the individual's names just because he doesn't put in his email whether this is private to me because he's emailed it to us by a a private email. So I don't know whether it was for public consumption. I'm going to keep him anonymous for now. But the gentleman, I'll I'll say it's a gentleman who wrote this, will know that it's his email. And it says, Dear Natalie, listen to your latest podcast tonight and the suggestion that Tony Lachlan leaving might have had an effect. Well, one other coincidence that occurred to me is Ashley Barnes. Remember that beautiful penalty he took away against Liverpool on the 21st of January last year? That time was the beginning of his injury problems. He only started another three games that season and scored the goal, which gave us a draw against Fulham at home. And therein lies the problem, because after beating Villa 3-2 on the 26th of January, brackets admittedly without Barnes, we didn't win another single home game that season and we've only won one this season. Makes you think that either he was even more influential than we'd realised or that he was such as an influential ingredient of 442 that it simply doesn't work without him. Um, that's actually ended up being a bit of an Ashley Barnes problem rather than a Lockham one. I'd misread it. But um, it, it all links into this idea that we've got one manager, one coach, one system, one set of players that, that matches that season. And now little elements of that are missing. So Lachlan going, Ashley Barnes being injured they're all nothing's working and this is my frustration Andrew in that the things that we've always done well when you get those variants of the, of the jigsaw and the, the wheel sorry that, that miss it we can't perform but there's no plan b <clears throat> there is no plan b and let's be honest over the years that's often been Daishi's downfall he's had issues where maybe he's not made substitutes and he's never had a plan b uh, but he's somehow got to address the situation if he does need another coach then he needs to look into that, but I said I don't really know the ins and outs of how the backroom staff works, so I, I don't really feel qualified to answer that one, if you know what I mean. 
Yeah, no, no, no. It's quite all right. None of us are qualified. We are merely here to offer an opinion. Um, yes. Albeit some people genuinely do send us emails asking us like we have any influence whatsoever. I don't even have influence in my own house. So quite frankly, yeah. I'm not qualified either, Andrew. Um, Adam, are you all right to just hang fire for a second? Because I, I've got to do it. I've got to bring Rich back in because the other grenade he wants to set off shall we say and it's a very valid one and it's one that I wholeheartedly get behind I am his uh, vice general if that's the the word here on this crusade is the other person who we now feel is to uh, blame for some of the problems this season and who quite frankly isn't getting the level of criticism that is justified is our chairman Rich off you go. Oh, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get ruined by all the uh, no you're not no you're not we'll protect you brown all essences and Twitter podcast. I'll send Adam. Out. I'll send Adam to save you. Don't worry. Well, I'm not that bothered. Um, <laughs> listen, what I would say is right. Alan Pace has had free transfer windows. I would say he's made some good signings. You know, at the same time, and I think it's progress on garlic. But if we had the January transfer window that we had under Garlic and his board and we was in the same predicament, after that draw on Saturday on, on Twitter, Garlic would have been getting absolute pelters. So why does why is Alan Page kind of, um, you know, ex- exempt from this criticism? Is it because he talks in a nice accent? He, because, he, because he uses sophisticated jargon? Is it because he's put a lick of paint on Turf Moor? What, what I think with Pace is, my, you know, my jury's still out on him. It, it, it very much is. I think he talks a good game. He seems a good guy, but he's done. Has he has he done enough to be completely exempt from criticism? And and Dice's feed, Dice and McNeil are the brunt of it at, at the moment on Burnley Twitter. You can't get away from it. It you know it is their fault. And but not signing a midfielder, you know, in in January is absolutely catastrophic. It is absolutely catastrophic. Oh, we were looking at Orsic, who I think would have been a good signing. But Orsic is more of a number 10 or a winger. We needed an out-and-out ball-playing central midfielder who can get his foot on the ball and play. Every single person who's a Burnley fan or even a football fan knows what Burnley is short of, and we didn't get one. We only got Vegas because Wood left. Yeah. So if so, if Wood didn't go, would we have actually got anyone? And I think, you know, so you're looking at it now and I'm going, it's absolutely criminal that we didn't get that midfielder. I thought at the time, once that January transfer window went, not getting that a midfielder or two as centres down, because that's our main area of improvement. I genuinely, genuinely look at our team. Say if we had, I know it's all if, buts and maybes and all that stuff. If we had Barton and Defoe in that midfield, oh. I genuinely think we'd be mid-table. So we can talk about these issues of strikers, wingers, defenders, got you know, Daichi's tactics. Your, your, your central midfield is the heartbeat of the team. It, it what it, it's what makes you tick. And we've and we we have got ch- championship level central midfielders. I think Cork should be in the team, but the way Twitter was going on on Saturday, you thought he was on Andrea Perlo. You know the, <laughs> the way people were talking about him. You know, and I like Cork. I've, you know, when I backed up Cork in this podcast, it was only before Christmas that people were saying Cork was useless. You know, we had Dale Javi, who came into the team for the Watford game, who I thought was going to be the great saviour. He didn't turn out that way, but it, it just makes me laugh. And 
that, you know, for whatever reason, Alan, Alan Pace kind of just seems like he's, he's just God's gift. And yeah. maybe that's a bit, I don't want to sound patronising. I think it, it seems our younger fans do really, really like him and, you know, and it's fantastic. Maybe that's a little bit of naivety where maybe someone may use a bit more older and a little bit more cynical and there's something that I just fully can't trust it yet. I, You're I, not cynical, don't... Rich. That's no, not I the just word don't... I'd use to describe you. And I just don't see what he's done so far that people just have this unbelievable, just like faith in him, you know. And for me, them not getting at least a ball playing midfielder was absolute suicide. And, and that's got nothing to do with the R6 deal because they're completely different roles. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I, I think, Adam, I wonder whether part of this is that we were so fed up of Garlic and the old board by the time they left and there was a lot of bad blood there. He'd had that big nasty spat with Dash and that relationship was irreparable to the point where it was coming out in the press that they just weren't on speaking terms. And I do wonder whether Pace has been afforded way too long a honeymoon period by the fans because, quite frankly, we're just relieved to not have Garlic anymore. And also there's a lot of anger as well amongst Burnley fans about the the really awful transfer business that Garlic did and the, the legacy that he's left and also his role in the leverage buyout of the club as well. So, you know, is should we be direct? You know, what's your response to that? Should we be directing and asking more questions of Pace? Yeah, I think I would hesitantly positive when he when he did come in like he said we needed to move on from garlic I think it was always going to involve debt the next time he did come on to allow us to stretch the purse strings a bit I think we did that really well in the summer but in January it is always very difficult to get exactly what you need I didn't see apart from Fafana which just seemed completely far-fetched right at the beginning I didn't see a realistic target for a midfielder that were going to come in and improve us uh, it's not a good time to do transfer business. I think it was blatantly obvious to all of us in the summer that we needed a central midfielder. Um, and it's amazing you kind of go around in circles. It's a really good point by Rich saying players get better sometimes when they're not playing. Like you, you, you just somehow think that they're going to come in and make a difference because the people in that position are not not performing. Uh, but yeah, the all um, all four of them are a similar level. We've said it all season. Um, but it, it has to be caught um, at the moment, just the way we need to play. But um, back to, on pace, I think PR is brilliant, and it's a lot more than what Burnley fans have seen in the last few years. Like pretty much hitting hitting the shadows, garlic. You didn't hear from him. Completely the opposite end of the spectrum. It's all positive, all really good news stories with the stadium, with like yeah, with some of the sign as well. The stuff is. Um, promoting in the community and getting out there. Um, I think the proof will be in the pudding. We go down, um, that could cause real, real issues for the club, especially if we don't come straight back up. Um, will he be as positive then? Will he disappear? I think you've got to judge him um, over over the next next two or three years, hopefully. Fingers crossed we do manage to pull the rabbit out of the hat and stay up. But I really fear for if we do go down, and if we do start to struggle, that's when it could really start to unravel. Because how do you, in, in this day and age, this world that we're in now, it's not a good time to have that debt around you um, in, any, in any business, in any circumstance. So um, especially not a football club where it's um, not very uh, easy to make 
money as it is. So yeah, I, um, I, I do get that, Adam. But equally, debt in football isn't the same risk as it is in football in general businesses. There does seem to be, and I don't profess to know the rules around it, but it does seem to be more manageable and a lot more forgiving in the football world. I don't know how that works, but most clubs operate with some debt and most clubs operate at a loss and they don't, you know, it's it's quite, it's still, it's sensational because it's still quite rare for clubs to go out of business. Um, I mean, look at the situation Derby are in at the moment and they're still, you know, that they're still going, you know, that's about as work as it, worse as it can yeah. get. There's more and more horror stories appearing though, isn't there? It's just, it's just that we're in the back of, back of your mind that you see these clubs unraveling. and um, We're not there yet. Yeah, we're not yet. No, no, we're not. Adam, of course we're not. not. That's not we're, another discussion. we're not there yet, but we can't just ignore it because if you ignore what's happening now down the line, we've seen what happened, you know, what's, what's going on in the news if we just ignore threats. Listen, we've got two best-case scenarios. First one is we stay up this season. It's unlikely, but we've still got a sniff. You know, we've got two big games coming up against Everton and Norwich. Second best case, which I think we have got a good chance of, what you were saying earlier, Natalie, before we heard, is that we go down, the championship level is average at best, and we go back up and we rebuild. My concern is, and I think Adam said it there, is long-term, five, six years down the line, parachute payments go. We sell our best players. What Where, 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 where do we get money from then? Because pace what? is like you know that's my I, I don't I'm asking you a question because I yeah, I don't I, know enough. I'm Word the opposite is, of you with that though, Rich. That that's the scenario that doesn't worry me about pace. I'm more worried about short term flight risk that he's only interested, and I don't think he is. But my my concern short term that suddenly we get relegated to the championship and he, he looks to sell it on, or goodness me, like he then um, then sells it back to garlic. That would just be horrendous. Um, I down the line, I'm not worried because as a from what I've seen and from what I've read of him and from I, his background and his business initiatives, he seems to have a lot more commercial savviness that Garlic ever did. Garlic is a, is a successful local businessman, but I never felt that we thrived commercially. Pace is already looking at what how we raise money outside of TV revenue, how we generate advertising, how we become a more corporate offering. That's how you get more money outside of the Premier League. But, so that I'm not worried who's about. Who's going to be interested in Burnley? No one. No yeah, one's but, interested in no, a, in you, a yes, town in East, in East Lancashire. They you know, were they not. were before they were before the Premier League. They will yes, you're gonna be you're gonna reduce the number of national companies that will be interested in you, but there will always be a level of business that will be interested in sponsoring a football club, mm. even in the championship, because there's a level of exposure that's good for local market businesses. You're always going to get that. You know, the, 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 the companies that, that, sorry, the teams that are in the championship now, they have sponsorship, they have corporate offerings, they have, you know, companies that, that will sponsor stadiums and have boxes there. So you will have that. Um, Andrew, just a little bit conscious that we went off on one then. Um, I know this is a tricky subject and it's a prickly subject. Um, and I, I, we are literally chucking you in at the deep end on your podcast debut. But is there any of that that you disagree with? Or is there anything that you can add in terms of how far we go as fans in challenging pace? No, I think the problem, obviously, we're talking about pace having a honeymoon period. And I think the problem, the, the reason he's getting that honeymoon period is he's engaging with fans. He's out there doing what Garlic wasn't doing. He's on social media, he's doing interviews and doing all that. But 
Rich is 100% right. We have that January transfer window under Gaelic. He's getting absolutely slated. It's not good enough. Don't me wrong, I don't think I, I'm, every single signing he's brought, I think, has been a good signing for the club. But he's massively missed that one hole in the middle, which is central midfield. And I, I just don't know how that could possibly be missed. We can all see it. How can the management and people at the football club not see that? Uh, going forward, I, I, I think you're right with what you're saying. If we do get do down, there will always be the sponsorship element. He's a good business. He's a good commercial. Good commercially, knows what he's doing that way. But he, he's just got to be given time. We need to see what he's going to do come summer transfer window, no matter what division we're in, and then going forward. These, the honeymoon period probably is going on, on too long, but I think that's just because we're so fed up with Gaelic. Yeah, I completely agree. Right, so reflecting on what a disappointing loss yesterday. 2-0 away at Brentford. I uh, went down myself from Bath, you know, got the coach in the morning. Got, got, you know, a few bevs in. It seemed like a brilliant day was unfolded. We arrived and there was this cracking little pub to the side of this new ground called the Express Tavern. And it was full of clarets before the game. Really, really good atmosphere. And it seemed like everyone was up for what would be another good away day and another good away following. You know, we've been really good recently in, in the crowd, I think. I think sometimes at home, there's a tendency to get on players' backs. And I think maybe just because it... it You've got so many fans. If there are a portion of that that, that crowd groaning or you know even booing some decisions or players, it can really whip up a, a negative atmosphere. So I was looking forward to getting away from home, getting a good one one and a half thousand. I think were there. Uh, it was a sold out sold out capacity, and just get really getting behind the players. And that's exactly what they did from minute one. It was a really good atmosphere. And at half time, I thought I thought we'd we'd been in control. We'd been in control all half, but for me, it was just lacking end product, which, you know, is a standard thing that we do these days. But towards the end of the first half, there were a couple of scares because, well, you had um, you had the winger, I think, it's, is it Canos? Um, sorry, their, their winger with the number seven on his back, who cut in a couple of times on, on, the, on, on, on the left wing and whipped in a ball with his right foot. And we really did get away with one. Um, where I think it was Tarks who cleared it off the line. So you're thinking, all right, we've shaded it half, but the best chance has fallen for Brentford, which is a bit of a a damning statement, and it really did come back to haunt us in the second half. But you know what? I went into the second half feeling positive and just thought, no, we'll get we'll get something will fall for us, and we'll take our chance, and we'll we'll sit back and think, yeah, that was a good performance that. And for the majority of the second half, I was happy. I thought we really did show willingness to go forward and to win the game. You know, sometimes we go away from home and, like it or not, we we, we set up to stay solid and hopefully go up the other end and, and nab a goal. But I didn't think that was the case on Saturday. I really didn't. I thought we were positive. We went forward. We were trying to get on the front foot. And for the, for the majority of the game, I'll be honest, it felt like we were the home team. Not only on the pitch, but off the pitch, because the Brentford crowd was silent and we were absolutely electric. So I was going, I was happy, but at the same time, I thought, "Ooh, we're not creating much here, are we?" And it it looked like we it was it was leaking out towards a nil nil draw. Which look, it's not ideal. We we need wins on the board, but I'd have taken it away from Brentford. You know, 
it, it means that they stay in the chase. It means that we move out of the relegation zone, whether it be for a day or so, which, you know, it's just good for morale. And we had a couple of chances. I mean, I thought we were a better team when J-Rod came on. I just don't think we managed to get Walt in the game enough. Um, they just didn't get it to his feet, which was unfortunate. But those sort of games happen. But J-Rod, what a cracking shot he had. What a rush of adrenaline that brought to us in the crowd when he whipped it in from outside the box and it, it dipped and it looked like an absolutely glorious shot and it just pinged back off the crossbar. But you're thinking, fair play, Jay, you've come on and you're not scared of hitting a shot because he's got he's got a good shot on him, hasn't he? And you're thinking, you know, we can go and, we can go and get this game. Let's get at him. And there was a 10-minute spell in the second half where everything felt like it was going in the right direction. We were playing good football. The crowd was really sensing it. You're thinking, come on, yeah. Let's go and get that goal. And it just didn't happen. I mean, Maxwell Cornet, I really do love him. And I think I think he put in a much improved performance on Saturday. But at the same time, he got one-on-one with the goalkeeper and absolutely fluffed his lines. It should have been a simple either just curl it round him or even take it take it round the goalkeeper and slot it home. I think if Maxwell scores that shot, scores that where he's fluffed his chance, it's one no Burnley. We're going home happy. We've pretty much controlled the game and got a massive away victory. As it is, our key and star player in corner didn't take his chance. Meanwhile, Brentford's star man, Christian Eriksen, set an absolutely delightful ball into the box for Ivan Tony to just just turn home. You know, he really couldn't have missed. And I think that's the difference on the day. You know, Eriksen is an absolutely phenomenal midfielder. A midfielder who can just create something out of nothing. And... Look, you can say all you like, we should be playing Cork, and I agree. But he's not got that quality about him that Ericsson does, unfortunately. It's not that much of a game-changer. I think the team with Ericsson, or or the star player who could produce something when needed to on Saturday, was the team that was going to win. And unfortunately, that was Brentford. In January, Brentford brought in a phenomenal midfielder in Christine Ericsson. We didn't. And our midfield's been an issue for years now. We don't create enough from it. And unfortunately, that is what happened at the weekend. Ericsson put an incredible ball in. Tony slots it away. Now, for me, the second goal is irrelevant, isn't it? We were pushing forward for an equaliser. It's li- it literally means nothing that we were all torn apart for that second goal because <laughs> that's going to happen when you, you send all your men forward. But at the same time, it was a bit of a donkey move by Collins. Why is he just doing that? Why is he taking him down like that and just getting a very stupid red card when... You know, the game's gone. Just don't do it, Nathan. You know, just keep your, keep, keep your head up next time and just don't, don't be a clown, essentially. You know, do as much as you can. But if you, if, if you can't get to your man, you don't have to go and just take him down and get yourself sent off. So a bit of a silly one there. But what a sickener. It was just a sickener, wasn't it? You know, Brentford fans, they were silent for the entire game. All of a sudden, full time's gone. And they're playing this, hey, Jude, and... Having a rave after the game in the, in the home end. God, I mean, it just, it was so sombre in the way end after the game. And it wasn't like one of those games where everyone's miffed and storming out with five minutes to go because this isn't good enough. It was more of a, it felt it was more of a funeral. We were just stood there thinking, that's it. That's our Premier League. Premier League survival chance is gone. That that's us, unfortunately, going down. It did, really did that air, have that air about it. I think I, I just don't think the fans could believe it. 
we'd been in control for the majority of the game. Whether we'd created enough chances or not, well, we hadn't. But we'd been in control. It was going to be a draw. And just one incredible ball in from Ericsson. And all that hard work's gone. And it really was a sad mood going going off the game. And I mean, that's continued into the weekend. Just a sickener, isn't it? And results haven't gone our way on Sunday at all. You know, with Leeds winning. Really could have done without that. But look, all four nails aren't in this coffin yet. Two might be in. Maybe even three nails are in our coffin. But there is one side of that coffin which is still uh, breakable. I think we can. I think we can get out of this. It's not just me being stupidly optimistic. Like realistically, we can. Everton are awful. Leeds are rubbish. Okay, they beat Norwich. Well, every team beats Norwich, apart from us, obviously, because we don't like to abide by the principle of beating the teams that you need to. But Leeds are catchable. Everton are catchable. Now, this City game is going to be a write-off, let's be honest. But the final 10 games after that, the mentality of not only the players, but also the fans has to be right. Because there's no point us chucking in the towel now and mourning and booing and all that nonsense. Well, if we're going to chuck in the towel, then I don't blame the players if they chuck in the towel. You know, we really need to back them after after this three-week break, which I think is going to do everyone a bit of good. It's not been the best couple of weeks, has it? And... There's a lot of negativity, but I think a few weeks off, just enjoy life away from football because, gosh, it really does make us miserable at times, doesn't it? So just enjoy life away from the, the football and let's back them after that break. City, let's get let's get a full house in. Who knows what could happen? People say to me, City are unbeatable. Well, tell that to George Boyd because he didn't think like that and look where it, look where it got us. So... Get a, get a full house in against City and let's back the lads going into the final 10 games because it, it it's not going to help anyone if you turn your back and say, dash out, let's boo. It means nothing. All right, you think, you you, you know, you can be on your high horse saying, oh, I'd have picked a better team and all this. It, but it, at the end of the day, it means nothing to the players on the pitch. They just need our support and that's the only way they're going to get out of this is to have the fans fully behind them all the team pointing in the right direction, and who knows? Who knows? Sean Dyche has pulled off enough miracles that I believe another one can happen. And it's not like we're cut adrift. Remember a few weeks ago, a few, well, you know, about a month or two ago now, everyone, everyone thought we were dead and buried. Everyone, whether it be pundits, fans, everyone thought we were gone. And fast forward, and that's not the case anymore. We're still completely in the, in the mix. And I think that's testament to the good work that Daesh and the team have done in the last two months. Okay, it's tailed off recently. But let's back them after the break. And who knows? Anything could happen. I'm going to leave you you on that optimistic note. And that there's 10 games left. I mean, 11 if you count City, but who knows? So 11 games left. I really do think three three wins and a couple of draws will do us. It's a poor league this year. And we 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 have the ability to stay up. It just needs the right mindset from players, the staff and the fans. So let's all go forward as one and just see where it takes us because, hey, think about it. If we stay up, talk about the great escape, eh? It'd be absolutely magical. So let's back the players. Enjoy your break and I'll see you on the other side and hopefully we can pick up a few wins because wouldn't that be absolutely marvellous, right?
Cheers all, and I'll speak to you later. In terms of just moving on now, because I, I, I guess I just want to get a handle on where we like set our stall out now about whether we can consider there's any hope of survival this season, as Rich just mentioned. Um, Adam, our April fixture list, let's have a look at this first, because obviously we've got a break now of three weeks, which is unprecedented, but there we are. And actually, quite frankly, I think us fans are looking forward to a three-week break after that Brentford game, to be honest. So our April revised fixture list is City at home, vomit, um, Everton at home, um, Norwich away, West Ham away, Southampton at home and Wolves at home. So realistically, winnable games, points being collected, City aside, that's not bad. No, and as bad as we've been and as negative as the feeling's been all season, having won three games in 27, we're one point away from um, outside of the relegation zone, which is quite a miracle, to be honest. It is still in our hands. We've still got winnable games against teams that are also playing very poorly. Then that Everton and Norwich games, absolutely huge. We just need to start find that formula to go back to the days where we were picking up two points a game against against the bottom half teams. Um, how we do that, I don't know, because we do seem to be playing with fear and not not taking taking ownership of those games and uh, taking them by the scruff of the neck. We've got to find a way to do it. And as the, the, it really dawns on them, I really hope something does click because I, I don't have the expectation anymore. Like Rich said, I, I keep thinking, all of the over and over again this season, I keep thinking, we're going to find that formula to go back to what we've always done and and find a big moment in those big games and, and sneak a win and really grind it out. And we've just not not been able to do it. And I'd, nothing nothing's really going to change now. We've been over and over and over. All the players that we've played, tried in different positions, we've not got many options. I, I just I just hope we find something. We've got that run of games. Everton, apart from City, they're all we should be competitive in all the games until the end of the season, potentially Tottenham away. We've been battered there so a few times, but yeah. we, if we, if we're on it, we can be competitive in any game. These last three without Ben me, obviously we're missing a, a key player and we've not turned up. We've gone on the wrong side of a couple of things at Brentford late on, consider late goals, but we need, we've got a chance and we've got to take it because, um, yeah, because we, uh, I think we, I think we really need to need to find a way to stay up this season. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, I'm I'm beyond worried. Andrew, could you try and quantify this for us? And out of those fixtures, so I'll just repeat them for you: City at home, Everton at home, Norwich away, West Ham away, Southampton at home, and Wolves at home. How many points do you think we could genuinely get from those? Well, let's let's be honest. We're going to get nothing at home to City. I, yeah. Although, I, I could also see us also uh, getting a draw there and then losing at home to Everton. That wouldn't surprise me. There, but uh, you've got, <laughs> Don't that, that would be the that would be the most Burnley thing ever. Uh, but we've got to go into that game at home, to Everton. Obviously, that's biggest game of the season as far as I'm concerned. We've got to be getting three points here. We've got to be getting three points at Norwich. We've Got to try and get something at the London Stadium. It's not got there on a great season. It's not going to be easy, but you've got to hope you can get a point there, and then it takes you back into two massive home games at home to Southampton and Wolves, which again you've got to be looking at taking as many points as possible. So whether you're taking 
six points from the first week, the Everton, Norwich, maybe a point to West Ham. I don't think you're going to, we're going to beat both Southampton and Wolves, but you're, if you can take another four there, then that's severely going to push your, the, the tally for the season. However, I'm talking there about winning three games when we've only won three games out of, what, 27 all season. So it's it's not going to be easy. No, it's not. Rich, who's our, who's our get-out-of-jail card? Who goes down? Because we're going to have to go above two of... Watford, Everton, Leeds, and I'm still putting Brentford in there. We've got to come above two of those. Who is I think it? Brentford are safe now. I think I think Brentford are safe. Brentford were the one team after that win against Tottenham where I think we really can catch. I think nine points is a lot of points to gain. I know we got a couple of games in nine, but nine points is a lot for us to game on then and and them to have a really bad run of form. It it was a signal, wasn't it? Leeds getting that winner. Um. Do you know, I don't, it's, it's really hard to answer because by the time we, we play City, Leeds and, I think Leeds and Everton are going to have two games or I might be right um, before we even play City. I know Everton play tomorrow. I'm pretty sure that that's right, but they definitely play one or two games before yeah, us. So, I think, so like you're looking at it and going, well, if Leeds win the next two, we're, we're 11 points behind them. But if Leeds lose the, but if Leeds lose the next two, we're, we're only five points behind them with four games in hand. And if Everton maybe only get one point from the next two, we're only two behind them with, with them to play at Turf Moor. So I think, I, I personally think it's really hard to answer that question. I, I think we're better because at this stage, with those teams who are playing games, who are, who, who are playing games, like, I, City, for me, it's just damage limitation. And, you know, with our goal difference goal being difference. good. Yeah. Listen, I'd be, I'd, I know me is injured. I'd be tempted to just somehow try and get five across the back. Yeah. Like, whether I know Collins is out, whether you like play long tarky and I don't know, maybe someone like, I don't know, maybe like. What a kidding. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. But just, just, yeah, give him, I don't know, try, yeah, <laughs> Thomas or, yeah. I don't know, maybe see pieces his back fit, maybe play him across the back three or Bardsley. Do you know someone like that who, who can actually just be tough defending, you know, and just play really negative that game and yeah. just see how we go? Uh, listen, them Everton and Norwich games are make or break for me, you know. I know Andrew's talked about West Ham, Southampton and Wolves. For me, if we if we don't get four points minimum from them two games, we might as, you know, there's no point even turning up for them fixtures because if we lose to Everton and say only get one point at Norwich, it is completely done. To go back to you, I, I think that game tomorrow that Everton got is absolutely crucial for them. You know, I, I you know, the part we're going to arm from is, is, is quite close to Liverpool and it's quite close to Skemmersdale. And I know a lot of Everton fans and I work with a lot of Everton fans. The feeling inside Goodison Park is really bad at the moment. Um, you know, it's. I think they're doing this scheme, Everton, where it's like, the, you know, the fans are like reading messages and Twitter messages from players and, you know, and the managing staff are. It's almost got a sense of like it's now an Everton for Everton because if you look at Everton fit Everton's fixtures after tomorrow, their running is awful. Terrible. It is really bad, really bad. I don't know if you've looked at it, Natalie. It's a yeah, shocker. It is. It's awful. So listen, you know, if we stay up it instead of Everton, it'd be amazing. But I, I just don't think we'll do it. I, I'll go back to what I said earlier. You know, we can analyze it until the cows come home. I just don't think we're good enough this season. We're going no. to need a minimum, an absolute minimum of three wins, three or four wins, and we've won three and 27. I don't yeah. think we're consistently a good enough side this season 
both attacking, uh, you know, mainly attacking to get enough goals to win games. And our corners have just gone back to absolutely being dog poo again. Yeah, they really have. So just to go over those um, fixtures for Everton, because they out of all of the, the teams at the bottom, they have unquestionably the worst um, fixtures. They've got tomorrow they're playing Newcastle. Then they've got a rearranged fixture, which is yet to be confirmed against Watford. So they're obviously big six-pointers there. They've then got to play West Ham, us, Man United, Palace, Leicester, Liverpool, Chelsea. Leicester again. Wow, we've only played Leicester once. Not played Leicester yet. Brentford and Arsenal. That's nasty. Uh, Brentford isn't great, to be honest, and neither is Leeds. They, Leeds haven't got great fixtures either. Uh, let me just see if I can get these very quickly so I'm not delaying. My, I can't get it quickly enough. But, yeah, th- there is definitely a... What's the word I'm looking for? A... Uh, an imbalance uh, that may very well well work in our favour in terms of fixtures. We have some really good... Um, Watford have fixtures. better good fixtures. Yeah. Watford, Watford, yeah. yeah. Watford, yeah. But Watford are weird. Like, you think they're dead and buried and they win. I still think we'll come above Watford. I don't know why. Yeah, it's, I agree. Like I mentioned just then, Everton have got... So, so, so they've got Newcastle and West Ham to play before they play us. That's correct, isn't it, from what you've said? Yeah. So... Yeah. Them two games are massive for us. If Everton go and get, you know, say four points, six points from them two games, but say if they lose both of them or only get one point, and then we've got to play them at Turf more, and we've and we'll have a game in hand by them at that point, it's all to play for. So, um, you know, them two games are absolutely massive for them. Yeah, right. I'm going to leave it there just because um, I just I think that's a good place to end it on in that. We know the challenges, we know what's happened this season, but I do like to, as thin as it may be, I would like to leave us on the message that there may very well be some hope. Um, Adam, very quickly, just give us a very quick promo. Um, We've got, um, as we know, three-week gap now, so we're going to be doing some FPL specials on the preview show with Dave. Um, You mentioned uh, something about um, a cup earlier on, which obviously, listeners, I knew nothing about. So can you just line us up with what we're going to be doing on the preview show to the extent? Uh, Yeah, yeah, just so as an addition to the usual uh, game week review um, that Natalie and Dave do, um, and roundup of the league tables. There's going to be, if you're in the no near never uh, fantasy Premier League um, classic league, then you'll be entering a cup competition um, from game week 31, where you'll go head to head with another member of the no near never league, and it'll be a straight knockout all the way to the end of the season. Um, and obviously, half of the teams will go through every week, and we'll have a final in game week 38, um, with I'm sure what Matt and Natalie will come up with a. Um, a good prize for whoever does come out victorious at the end of it. Stickers? No. I need some new merchandise. I've been plugging the None and Ever sticker for so long now. So I think listeners, and particularly those who have got their hands on it, there's going to be plenty of opportunities to the end of the season to get your hands on a, a much coveted sticker. But I think from next season, we're going to be looking at some new merchandise. I don't know what yet. And quite frankly, it's very low down on my to-do list. Um, so yes, do keep an eye on social media because there's going to be some FPL um episodes I, I kind of gave that hospital pass to adam because we haven't written them yet so i don't know what they will be but they will be exciting i am sure um final word to our very special guest this evening andrew um andrew i do hope we've enjoyed your um time on the podcast do you want to just leave our listeners with any little party shots before we wrap up the episode 
just <coughs> obviously massive game coming up against Everton. Let's write the city one off, but massive game against Everton. It is a Wednesday night, but let's just all get down there, all support the team. And from that game on, let's try and get some points and stay in this division. Look at that. Inspirational words from our guest listeners. Well, thank you, Andrew. It's been a real pleasure having you on the podcast and we do hope we see you again soon. Um, You're welcome. That's all we've got time for listeners. So as ever, my thanks go to everybody who has contributed to make this episode to our regular panellists, Adam and Rich for a, a tough podcast, but one that I think they delivered expertly. And I'm really grateful for their um time just to come out and just lay it all out there as it is as uncomfortable as it is and it's not pleasant at the moment so thank you both um as i've just said obviously our special guest andrew for joining us as well for his debut that's been a pleasure and um, to producer matt who um has um, edited this and um put it all together for us um and our final thanks to you the listeners for downloading and listening to this episode your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you We will not be back now for three weeks because of um, a silly fixture could pile up. Um, Statman Dave is going to be looking at talking to Dave Thomas about his new book, so keep an eye out for that. And as Adam just mentioned, we're going to have some FPL exciting specials. Um, If anybody wants to get in touch with us, you know how. You can tweet us at known and ever. You can leave a comment on our Facebook page or you can email us at podcast at knownandever.net. In the meantime, take care of yourselves, take take care of others indeed, and as we mentioned on the preview show, our hearts and prayers are with the people of Ukraine. I've been Natalie Bromley, this has been the Known and Ever podcast, until next time. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.